0: All right, first of all, whoever cut that pie ain't ever cutting the pie again. <laughs> Did y'all see that? <laughs> like, might as well just give them a spoon and let them scoop it out in the middle, right? Like, You are not touching the pumpkin pie on Thanksgiving if that's who's cutting the pie. Uh, that's actually from a, a documentary type, it was actually 2020, uh, back when John Stossel was working for ABC instead of doing his own videos. And if you watch the whole episode, you may end, at the, you know, come to the conclusion at the very end, okay, greed's not that bad, or at least there's good greed and bad greed, right? I mean, there's good greed, bad greed, and it really depends on what kind of greed you have, and that's kind of maybe a revelation for a lot of us, that you know, not all greed is bad. But then you come into church, and you start reading things that Jesus said, and sometimes Jesus says things that are either confusing or annoying or inconvenient, and he says in Luke chapter 12, he says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for life does not consist of the abundance of, pre- of possessions. To which you may want to come back and go, well I wish he gave some more clarification like 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 watch out for good greed or bad greed. And he's like, "Do I need to clarify?" I said, "All kinds of greed." Whoa whoa, whoa. even the good kind of greed? Well, but, but it, I thought good I thought there was some greed that's good. I mean, after all, Michael Douglas made some points there that there's some greed that's good. It's what makes the economy go around. And without greed, you wouldn't have capitalism. And so without capitalism, then, you know, things devolve. There's not enough things to share if nobody's out there earning other things. So aren't there some aspects of greed that is good? Isn't competition good? Do I need to watch out for all kinds of greed? And the problem with the issue of greed is. Nobody ever thinks that they're greedy, right? So like this is a message, you know somebody who needs to hear this message, but you don't need to hear this message, but you know somebody who does. That's kind of what this message falls in the category of. And that's because greed falls into a category of what's called a line-drawing fallacy. Like in other words, we know there's a difference between making money and loving money. And you the know, Bible says, the love of money is the root of all evil. So it's not that money is all evil, just the love of money is the root of evil. So we know there's a difference between making money and loving money. We know there's a difference between having stuff and having to have stuff. We know there's a difference between enough and excess. But the question is, is, is where do you draw the line? Now, whenever you have something like that, it's what it, when, when you're making philosophical arguments, there's, there's a, a group of philosophical argumentative methods that are called uh, fallacies. In other words, the whole structure of the argument uh, has a problem with it. In other words, you can't get to a logical answer if you buy into that line of reasoning. Uh, There's several of them. Uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but ad hominem is a very common one. By the way, politicians love argumentative fallacies because they fool the masses so easily. Ad hominem is where you basically question another person's character rather than their talking points. That's why in politics, somebody's either a racist or a socialist, no matter what, right? Oh, you can't believe it. there's That's socialism. Oh, he's just racist. They'll always go back. They'll attack the character and not even talk about any of the talking points about it. And so you buy into that. You're not actually getting anywhere productive. But the masses don't understand that. Uh, another one that uh, is often used is the slippery slope. And that's where basically if you give an inch, then you've given a mile, right? I mean, if you're going to allow gun ownership, then what's going to keep somebody from owning a tank? Right, I mean, after all, you have a right to bear arms. That means everybody can have a missile launcher if they want to, if we're gonna take this. That's called a slippery slope. If you have one, then you have it all. Uh, Along the lines of, oh, another another good one's uh, false dichotomy. That's where you basically make it so there's only two options. Either you agree with my position or you hate me and everybody like me. There's something called nuance where I can disagree with you but still love you? That's actually an option? No, no, no. Either you agree with me or you hate me. Is that not our political climate? It's called a false dichotomy. It's a fallacious argumentative structure, and if you follow that structure, you will never come to a logical conclusion, right? You cannot find a logical conclusion if you're using a logical fallacy. Well, one of them is in that same category of uh, logical fallacies is the line-drawing fallacy. The line-drawing is where clearly there is something that is good and there's something that is evil. But it's really hard to tell when good becomes evil, right? And it seems like, well, can't you just tell good and evil? Yes, at the extremes you can, but in the middle it can be hard. So let me give you a couple examples for this. Um, when it comes to inappropriate behavior, where does inappropriate behavior begin? Like. There's normal behavior that's to be expected and required of 2 coworkers, But then there's a time where we even say it. A line got crossed somewhere, and it became inappropriate, the relationship that these two co-workers had. Right? Well, where was the line? I don't know. I don't know. where that's, And that's the issue with the line-drawing fallacy. We don't know where the line is. What's the difference between teasing and mean-spirited making fun of somebody? Like, really, where is the line? Like, we were just teasing. Yeah, but a line got crossed somewhere, and feelings got hurt. Well, but we always banter like this. Just all, you know, we always banter like that. Yeah, but I think some of that was a little mean spirit What do you mean? Where, what joke was, was inappropriate? It's hard to tell where the line is that gets crossed. Um, here's one that we all can identify with. Overeating, Right? I went into the restaurant hungry, and I came out with some regrets. (laughs) At the Mexican restaurant, which is the chip that did it? Right? (laughs) I know somewhere between the first couple minutes and the last couple minutes, you pushed away, finally, when you're like, oh no, this is not gonna be a good night. Right? What was the chip that did it? You don't know. Okay? At least with the overeating thing, though, you know somewhere a line was crossed. Okay? Because you feel the effects of it. Now, one of the biggest problems with line drawing fallacy is that so often it takes so long for the consequences to be felt that by the time the consequences are felt, sometimes you can't even connect the behavior of crossing the line with the consequence. No. Never is this more the case than when it comes to greed. Clearly, there's a difference between having enough, give us this day our daily bread, and I'm going to hoard all the toilet paper in Virginia Beach and nobody else has any, (laughs) right? There's a line somewhere there. We don't know where that line is, though. But here's the the nature of the line-drawing fallacy. Wherever the line is, I'm at least one step to the good, at all times, because it's really hard for us to see the things that we're doing in the moment as being evil. In the same way, when you're at the Mexican restaurant, you will never pick up the chip and go, you know, I've actually had enough. This next chip is the the chip of gluttony. (laughs) But I hereby declare, God I don't care, tonight's about me, I will sin tonight and ask for forgiveness in the morning, I will take that, you don't do it, right? You don't know what chip it is, but you always assume as you're eating the chip, one more won't hurt. right? Why? Because I haven't crossed the line yet. We always assume we haven't crossed the line. That's part of the line drawing fallacy, which is why I don't have a problem with greed. Somebody else has a problem with greed. I don't have a problem with greed. Well, consequences of it. Do you ever spend more than you make? Do you have debts that you can't pay? Well, sure, I do, but everybody does. It's not because I'm greedy. It's just because, well, I get an extra paycheck, and the paycheck's coming in, and Christmas bonus is coming around, and really this is all part of my plan. I've got this all worked out, and, you know, actually what I really do is I can, uh, it's actually free money if you always keep something on credit because if you just pay it off at the end of the month, and sometimes you can't pay off, that's fine. You just get a balance transfer credit. Stop. At what point are you going to say you overate? You overspent? what point do you get to the point where you say, clearly it was greed. Now, this is the definition of a, stronghood, a stronghold. Stronghold is a lie that you believe and you've convinced yourself it's true, but it's so deeply seated you can't possibly see that it's not true. You can't possibly realize that you have a problem. It's hard to re- recognize greed in your own life because it is one of the classic strongholds. A stronghold that we've been talking about in the series comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 10 where he says the truth of God has the power to demolish strongholds. In other words, you have these lies that you'll believe and it's not until you come along Jesus and you're like, well, Jesus, there's good greed, there's bad greed. I saw the whole documentary. John Stossel this whole thing about good greed and bad greed. If you look at it, there's some senses where greed is, is good for us. After all, we have to have and we have to provide for ourselves and we have to achieve. I mean, otherwise, we're we going to be lazy. There's, there's And Jesus goes, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Problem with Jesus is sometimes to cut through it. And that is the power to demolish stronghold. The stronghold is a lie we believe about the nature and character of God and about the nature and character of ourselves. Stronghold is a lie we believe about the nature and character of God and the nature and character of ourselves. And this is where we're gonna see, as we study greed more, we're gonna see why that is. So Jesus says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Now, the context for him saying this is kind of interesting. He's not actually giving a whole lecture on money. He's not giving a financial seminar and brings it to this point. As a matter of fact, He's not talking about money at all. Uh, He's talking about heaven and hell, and he's talking about, hey, you gotta, um, if you go back up there, he says, you know, fear the one who has, you know, that after death, you know, that's, the real fears you should have in life should be about whether or not you're gonna spend eternity with God or spend eternity apart from God. That's what you really should be concerned with. I mean, after all, God knows everything about you. Nothing from God's gonna be hidden. He knows every hair on your head. This is all part of his talk. Well, in the midst of all this, um, it says, uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Uh, While he was teaching, someone in the crowd said to him, hey, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And then Jesus says back, sometimes you'll read something that Jesus says, but it doesn't sound like Jesus. Like, none of the Bible movies usually make Jesus sound like this. He goes, man, who appointed me your judge? Like, that, does that sound like Jesus? It doesn't sound like Jesus, right? Um, he says, Then he said to him, so he says, man, who who appointed me a judge, arbitrator over you and your brother? Watch out for all kinds of greed. Be on your guard, for life doesn't consist of the abundance of possessions. Now, let's just pause for a minute. The setting. Most likely what was going on here is in that day and time, the eldest brother, the firstborn, would be entitled to a double portion of the inheritance and would typically be like what we would call the executor of the will. So year, the will the one who basically carries out the father's wishes. Well, in that day and time, what would happen? If there were two brothers, that instead of splitting what the inheritance in half, what was done by by law and custom back then, is you would actually split the inheritance three ways. The younger brother would get one third, and the older brother would get a double portion, the two-thirds. Right? So that's what it meant by a double portion. Likely what happened was when the father died. The brother didn't give, the older brother, instead of keeping a double portion and giving one-third to his brother and keeping two-thirds, he either didn't give his younger brother anything or maybe he split it up four ways or six ways, and so the younger brother got one-sixth, and the older brother, instead of getting a double portion, kept a quadruple portion, whatever, for himself. And so, what do you think his response is when he says, Jesus, tell my brother to give me my inheritance? Like, it's what I'm owed, right? I mean, right? Right? Yes. Okay. The answer is yes. The answer is yes. Okay. You guys are always worried I'm going to try to trick you. All right. He's owed this, and so it's a legitimate request, right? But then Jesus comes back with, dude, why are you involving me in this? Watch out for all kinds of greed. What do you think he's thinking when Jesus says, watch out for all kinds of greed? Greed? You're calling me greedy? I'll tell you who's greedy. Who's greedy is My brother, that's the guy that I'm on the lookout for, that I'm telling you to look out for, but yet you're telling me I'm greedy? Who's the person that's greedy here? Come on, easy answer. Who's the person who's greedy? The older brother, right? Why are you calling me greedy? All right, well, context sometimes really matters. Picture, if you will, put the story aside. Picture, if you will, just picture, if you had five minutes alone with Jesus, you could ask him whatever you want. Think of the questions you would ask. Okay, God, I've got some why questions. (laughs) Why? I mean, everybody's got the why questions, right, of life. All right? What if you had five minutes alone with Jesus, and the first thing you said to him was, Jesus, you know how you said vengeance is mine? Declares the Lord, I will repay. Here's my list. Go get (laughs) them. Right? And if he were to say back to you in that moment, (sighs) I think you have a problem with bitterness. Would that be fair to say? Yeah. Why? Because at a moment where you could ask anything, or at a moment where he's talking about life and death and heaven and hell and eternity and what really matters in scope of all eternity, are you listening to anything I'm saying right now? No. All you care about is the fact that your brother didn't give you what you have coming to you. So would it be fair for him to look back and say, in light of the context of what I'm talking about right now for all eternity, you're focused on the kind of possessions that you feel you're owed or maybe you are legitimately owed right here and right now. The context says, if that's the only thing on your mind, in the same way that the other guy who wants me to, you know, rain down hellfire on them because that's the only thing he's on his mind probably has an issue with bitterness, would it be fair to say that maybe you have an issue with greed not me. My brother's greedy. Yeah, but the very fact that you have five minutes alone with Jesus where you can ask him whatever you want and the only thing on your mind is, give me what I got coming to me, probably says that money is the most important thing to you and you're not listening to anything I'm saying about what really matters in this life. This life is about nothing more than a loving relationship with Jesus Christ. You'll enjoy full eternity. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's all cool, but give me what's mine. It's fair to say he has an issue with greed. So he says, Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, not just the kind of greed that your brother has, but the kind of greed where he thinks that money is all that matters in life. And so he goes on, he says, all right, let me tell you a story. There's a certain rich man that yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, let me pause a minute. When he says a certain rich man, I know he's not talking about any of you because none of y'all are rich. Now, if you'd won the Powerball, maybe at least one of y'all would be, but literally none of us are rich, right? Okay, that is a trick question. Um, You've probably heard me say this before. If you are making minimum wage in America, you are wealthier than 90% of the rest of the world, right? Your high school kids and what they earn per hour is more than what some people make in a week. And they're complaining that they're underpaid. Really, really? You're really worth $10 an hour, really? You're getting jobbed out of that right now? Is that really what you're saying? Okay, Um, anyways just by the very fact that you're in America means you're among the wealthiest in the entire world, okay? Can we just put that to rest? So when he says, a certain rich man, who's he talking about? Well, not me, us in general, right? No, he's talking about me. All right, so talking about all the me's in this room. So he says, a certain ground of a rich man yielded an abundant harvest. So he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store all of my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus of grain. And I'll say to myself, I've got plenty of grain laid up for many of years. I can take life easy and eat and drink and be merry. What's the theme of his little story here? I, me, me, I, 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 me, 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 I, 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 I. Now, here's a couple principles about greed that we see from scripture. the issue with greed is a couple of things. Number one is the idea that it's my money, I made it. So he looks at this, here's all of my money. What am I going to do with all the stuff that is all of mine? Now, the idea that you made all your money, can we just pause for a minute and say, if you were placed anywhere else in the world besides America, would you have what you have right now? No. No, you would not. However angry you are at our economy or our leaders or whatever else, if you were placed anywhere else in the world, you would not have what you have. Take all of your gifts, all of your skills, all of your brains, all of your intellect, place you in Nicaragua, where our sister church is. By the way, we provide meals for them every single uh, day of the year. Uh, we feed over 100 kids every day. Uh, if you were here for the Stop Hunger Now event or the Rise Against Hunger event, those meals that get bagged up with the rice and like what looks like Fruity Pebbles or something in there, uh, that's shipped down there and then what we do, because when you give back a portion of what God's blessed you with, we always say it goes to help the ministry here in Virginia Beach and around the world, part of that around the world, is we then take extra food and add to that. So we actually add more nourishment to the kids so they have more than just that to eat for the entire day. Now, if you were born in that village, would you have exceeded, it excelled the way that you have now? There's nowhere within a hundred miles of that village where you can make 10 dollars an hour. OK? There's nowhere. You'd be lucky to make $10 a week with all of your knowledge and all of your skills in that village. So this whole idea that everything I have is what I made because I earned it, can you just pause for a minute right there? And can you acknowledge that God's blessed you and gifted you somewhere along the way for you to have what you have? You've got to acknowledge the God factor in what you have to begin with. Second thing, uh, it's all my money and it's all for me. What am I going to do? I'm going to build, I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger barns so that I can have more for me. Uh, Part of the greed fallacy is that everything I have is for me. Uh, As one author would say, it's the assumption that everything's for my consumption. That if I have it, it's for me. It's not for anybody else, it's for me. Now part of this is the issue is, what you don't understand, God blesses you so that you can be a blessing. When God gives you It's not because he's giving it to you, he's giving it to you, so that you have the opportunity to give to others. Now, perfect setting right now, Uh, God has provided you with enough for you. Now, we would look to God and say, but God, why is there so much hunger in the world? Why are so many people without? Why doesn't God give them the food that they, why doesn't he give to them? And here's what God says, "I, I, I did provide enough. I gave it to you to give to them. No, you didn't, you gave to me for me. That's called a stronghold. That's the song of greed in your life that tells you everything that you have is for you. When God says everything that you have is for you and for everybody else, you are meant to be a conduit, a, a, where a conduit's where it goes into you and it flows on to other people. And so God says, I will bless you so that you may be a blessing. And part of the issue of this uh, fallacy of greed is it leads to what's called a scarcity mentality. Scarcity mentality is, well, if I give what I have, then I won't have enough because after all, life is a zero sum game, right? There's only so much to go around. And if I give what I have, that means I don't have enough. That means I don't have enough. And so that means I need to hang on to what I have. And this is what God says. Okay. If you think that if you give what you have, you're not going to have enough, so you need to hang on to it. Well, guess what? I will make all of your dreams come true. I will make sure that's all that you have. But here's what God says. I love to bless those who are a blessing. You know who I like to give to? People who would give it to everybody else. Now, if you had 10 kids in the room, and you knew that, let's say you're a teacher, uh, and if you gave little Johnny the bag of marshmallows, Johnny would share the marshmallows with everybody else in the room. Whereas if you gave him to Mikey, Mikey's going to eat them all, right? And it's going to become some sort of like Lord of the Flies moment where he terrorizes everybody else and makes them, you know, his, his servants and, you know, for payments. Who are you going to give the marshmallows to when you leave the room? Of course. God's not dumb. He's going to do the same thing. He's going to bless those who will be a blessing. When you begin to think that the blessings of God have flown into your life for you and you alone, eventually God says, okay, I can't trust you with enough. I'll take from you. And the more that God takes from you, the more you begin to believe this, this scarcity thing's a reality. Now, I've tried to teach this principle to my kids their entire life. Whenever they're given anything, I always look to them and say, can dad have one? Now, what they don't realize is most of the time, I don't want what they're eating. Have you tried some of their candy? <laughs> candy used to be made because it was good. Now it's almost made like, what can you endure, right? Some of, like those, some of those warheads and other things, it's like, mm, mm, mm. here, you try it. See if you can handle this, right? No, I don't want it. I don't even, it's just gross. And some of that processed food that that those kids love, can I have a bite of your macaroni? I don't really want it, okay? But why am I asking? It's as a test to see, will you freely give what you've been given to, or do you think that everything that you have is all for you? Because if you think that with your Halloween candy, then what's going to happen the rest of your life? I'm trying to teach the principle of what you've been given is simply given to you so you can be a conduit of blessing to other people. Uh, last thing about this fallacy of money is money's going to make me happy. I look at everything I have as I'm going to build bigger barns, so what, what's going to be the end result? I can look to myself and say, um, I've got plenty of grain, up, grain, grain laid up for many years. I can take life easy. I can eat, drink, and be merry. It's the idea that money will make me happy. No. How much evidence do we need to learn that money doesn't make us happy? And we just say, yeah, but it sure will help. Yeah, but, you know, let's w- I'd be willing to give it a try. Give me the experiment, you know. Money won't make me happy. God, give me the Powerball, and we'll just see if that's really true. We need one more experiment to prove this thing out. Um, there's a lot of Proverbs about this. There's a lot of teachings in the Bible about this. Uh, one of them is Proverbs 7, 17, 1. It's better to live in a house of peace where all you have is bread and water, than a house that's filled of feasting and conflict. Does that one cut a little deep? Yeah. yeah. You know, if you look at, you know, the typical house in America, and the kind of conflict we have in our homes, how many of you would trade that conflict for having a simple meal of, you know, ramen noodles, and board games and fun every night, versus the stressed out lifestyle that has everybody yelling at everybody at each other's throats, but you can eat whatever you want. Now, if you were given that choice, here's the thing, you'd take it every time. But when you look at our lives, we haven't. Why? Somewhere along the way, there was a decision that was made, or a series of decisions made, that went from things that would lead to a house of peace to believing the lie that more money is gonna make me happier oftentimes, not always the case, but oftentimes it's because of the jobs we choose. You could be in a job that you love with people that you love to be around, that you make enough to provide for your family and for yourself, and you would trade that to make a little bit more somewhere else, okay, not realizing that when you get there, your co-workers are ruthless and mean and aren't fun to be around, that the job requires skills of you that you don't have. So everybody likes to get promoted above their level of competency, right? So now you're doing a job that you're not really capable of doing. So you're drowning in it. So you have to work extra hours in it just to be able to make ends meet. and Nobody's ever happy with what you've done. And therefore you bring that home with you and you're always upset and you're always angry. You've gone and bought things with this new salary that you thought you could now afford, but you realize it now squeezes your income more than you ever did before. And it seems like you have, and you go, how do I have this much money and I'm still broke, right? Which only leads to more frustration. You had a house that had a neighborhood with all kinds of uh, kids that your, your kids could play with, and you've traded it for some exclusive golf course gated community where there's no kids to play with because everybody in there is all senior adults, and now your kids are frustrated and they spend all their time online, and you say, you guys should get out and play more. Who am I gonna go play with, Dad? How many times does this have to play out before you realize money doesn't buy happiness? Would you be willing, go back to your own childhood, would you be willing to trade half of all of your assets? In other words, take everything that you have in your bank account, whatever social security you have coming to you, assuming it's still there when you, when you retire, uh, whatever you have in your retirement accounts, whatever assets you have paid off, whether it be a car, house, whatever it may be, would you be willing to trade half of all of your assets to have a happy and peaceful household? In a heartbeat, in a heartbeat, right? Right? Jesus said, what good does it gain the whole world if you forfeit your soul, right? Would you be willing, to, and it, Jesus has just been teaching about what it's like to have an eternal relationship with God, and this guy's, guy's like, give me my money. Tell him to give me my money. And he's saying, there's greed here. The greed issue is you're thinking the money is what's gonna make you happy. What's gonna make you happy is having a love and relationship with Jesus Christ you can enjoy for all eternity. Um, Psalm 127.1, I, I shared this on my favorite memory verse list. Unless the Lord builds the house, you labor in vain to build it. That's it. Unless, unless this is where God wants you to be, doing what God wants you to do, you're going to be fighting against his plan for your life every step of the way. And it's going to be contentious, it's going to be strife, and he goes on in this, in this passage and he says, who's the one who can put their head on the pillow at night and sleep? It's the one who's where God wants them to be. Who's the one who's up all night trying to figure out how they're going to work all this stuff out? The one who stepped outside of that. You might look back and you go, Steve, I know I'm there right now, but how did I get there? The fallacy of the line, the line drawing fallacy. I don't know where you crossed the line. Somewhere along the way, you went from what was enough towards chasing what's more than enough. That's why the writer of Ecclesiastes says this, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. Are any of us ever satisfied with our income? No. Everybody in America, no matter what you make, always comes back and says, I'm not talking to be rich. I'm not talking to be extravagant. But what would be enough? No matter regardless of the income, studies consistently show people would say 20% more than what they're making right now. Why? Well, because most Americans are living 10% beyond their means. So I need 10% to make up for what I'm already doing. And then if I had 10% buffer on that, I would be comfortable and happy and at peace. Ever does, whoever loves money will never have enough. You'll never be content with what you have. And I can't tell you where the line is, but somewhere the line gets crossed. And so Jesus says, so this is I think, thinking, everything's great. But God looks back at him and says, you fool. This very night, your life's gonna be demanded from you. And then who's gonna get everything you prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for anybody who stores up stuff for themselves, but is not rich towards God. In other words, this hoarding mentality, everything is for me. At some point, you're gonna realize you leave it all behind And then he goes into a passage that some of you all know more from the Matthew passage where he says, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat or drink. Look at the birds. I take care of them. Look at the flowers of the field. I clothe them, right? That's why I always say, you know, bird got a fish. It's going to be a good day. Every time I see a bird flying around with something to eat, it just reminds me God's going to provide. And If he provides for them, he's not going to provide for you. No, he'll provide enough. And if you can't be satisfied with enough, then you're not going to be able to trust that God's going to provide. You're going to go to that scarcity mentality. You're going to continue to have the worries. And so he goes on to say, um, don't set your heart on what you're going to eat or drink. Don't worry about it. For the pagan of the world runs after all these things. Your heavenly father knows what you need. So seek first his kingdom and all these things will be given to you as well. Don't be afraid. Your father's been pleased to give you the entire kingdom. So sell your possessions. Give to the poor. Uh, provide purses for yourself that won't wear out. Why? How do you do that? Well, store your treasures in heaven where the devil will fail. No thief can come near, nor, nor mosque can destroy. And then he finishes it off with another line, maybe some of y'all know. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I can't tell you where your greed issue is, and I can't tell you where the line is. I can just tell you if you live in America, you've crossed it. How do I know that? Because billions are spent every year, pushing you past that line. Pushing you so far past that line, you don't even know you've crossed it. Now, one of the reasons why I wanted to show that video is right before Thanksgiving, that's what it would look like, right? Remember when they mad dashed into the shop? It's not greed, it's a good deal. I I know, I know. I think one of the best things as a resulted of COVID is that it's given us Thanksgiving back. Has it not? Now. Remember, like pre-COVID, stores had gotten to the point where no store wanted to miss out on getting your dollars, and then their greed, they enticed you with your greed, and so it's snowballed effect, where instead of opening doors at 5 a.m., well, we're going to open at 4 a.m. If they open at 5 a.m., okay, well, we're going to open at 3 a.m. If you open it at 4 a.m., okay, well, we're going to open at, at midnight 01. That's when we're going to open, because, you know, Black Friday officially starts right at midnight, so we're going to start. Oh, yeah? Well, we're going to open up Thanksgiving the night before, right? Okay, well, we're going to open up Thanksgiving at... And what happens? Eventually, you don't have the opportunity for Thanksgiving in the pursuit of greed. Is there any better picture? Is there any better picture of life? When greed consumes you, there's no time for Thanksgiving. One of the best things about COVID is, okay, let's take everything away. And it's only when everything's been taken away do you once again get to reestablish and have Thanksgiving again. Better a little with Thanksgiving and contentment than a whole lot with contentment and strife. I don't know where your greed issue is, and chances are you don't know. But you need to be on, on your guard for it, you need to look out for it. You need to recognize wherever you're at, I guarantee you, you're over that line. From what is enough to what is too much. We you only to close our time. Father, I thank you for your wisdom thank you, Father, for the simplicity of just saying it's all greed. It's all greed. And this idea that it's what I've made and it's all for me and it's going to make me happy. If we're honest right now, Father, we'll realize that that is a stronghold in our life that we always come back to. Father, help us see it for the lie that it is. that the only true happiness that ever comes in this life begins and ends in our relationship with you. So Father, forgive us for the paths we've gone down and reset our minds on what truly matters. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.